tonight. All right. Hey, um, did anybody else get like Mad Sandlot vibes in that puppet pit scene with the, y'all seen the movie Sandlot? Okay. All right. Thank you. I was concerned there for a second. I was going to say everybody needs to leave right here. We're just going to go home, watch Sandlot, and then come back. But hey, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open up to the book of Daniel. Um, Pretty safe to say every time you come into this chapel, whether it's the morning or the night, you can grab your Bible, open up straight to the book of Daniel. We're going to walk through this story all week that Hume has done an incredible job of visualizing for us both in live theater and in this awesome drama. And, and we have these three characters, right? You have Darlena, who's your Daniel character, and then you have this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego character all put into one. And then you have Judith that represents the nation of Israel. And you're going to see her wrestle with understanding who is this king and then where do we find ourselves here in Babylon. So Daniel chapter one, go ahead and turn there. Um, like Cameron and Annalisa said, my name's Austin. Uh, I live down in San Diego right now in a little town called Fallbrook, if you've ever heard of it. Hey, okay, my San Diego crew. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not originally from San Diego, but I, my wife Paige and I have two little girls, I, my daughter Piper and then a little girl, we have a three month old named Phoebe and uh, they're, they're the best. Unfortunately, they're not here at camp with us, but they look like this. Check out the photo, this is my family, that's Pipes. That's little baby Phoebe. You can roll that next one. Y'all, that's Phoebe right there, a little nugget. She's already been to Hume three times. Homegirl's three months old, right? She's a, she's a Humey through and through. And then this is Piper, right? She's like a little Tasmanian devil. She's just so much energy out there. So um, they're the best. Love my family. I uh, wish they were here. You could meet them this week. But I love San Diego. Uh, I, I love living there. I've been there for about six years. I'm a high school pastor, work with high school students, and I, I love what I get to do. I'm originally from the Bay Area, so I'm a huge... Hey, let's go. I'm a, I'm a huge San Francisco Giants fan. Huh? 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 I am... Uh, I am also, this one's a little less popular, I'm also a massive Raiders fan. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Ever since Derek Carr left, I am now officially the only follower of Jesus that's also a Raiders fan, so... Go Saints, I guess. I don't know. But um, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. Uh, I, we left the Bay when I was little, moved actually not too far from here, a little place called Lake Arrowhead. And then in 1999, when I was seven years old, we moved down to a place called Quito, Ecuador. And I spent most of my life down in South America, a missionary kid. And I'm the youngest of four. Where are my youngest siblings at? Hey, let's go. Hey, de- undeniably the best to be the youngest. Am I right? Am I right? Okay. And... Uh, oldest out there, pipe down, okay, pipe down. So uh, we moved when I was like seven, not a whole lot changes as a seven-year-old when you move. Like for me, the biggest thing that changed was like, I played a lot of baseball and then I started playing soccer. Like that was probably the biggest life adjustment for me. And so big soccer fan, grew up playing soccer, played soccer at Biola University. Um, hey, all the, all the things. But uh, growing up, we had a ton of pets, right? Like we had a dog named Seamus, golden retriever. That was like the best dog ever. We had a cat named O'Malley. One day, I kid you not, one day we, we, I overheard my dad having a conversation and my dad, you ever hear your parents have a conversation that like you're listening in on and they say something that's like off and then you grab all your siblings and you like, you go and listen. So my dad said the word monkey like one too many times on the phone and I was like, huh? So we like gather around, he, he does one of these things, he's like, y'all want a pet monkey? And we're like, duh, right? So my dad brings home this pet monkey, little white Fu Manchu mustache, uh, like the best thing ever, but here's the best part, okay? We put him in like my dog's cage with a stick and a leaf to recreate what he's used to, right? The Amazon jungle. And we named him, we named him Chime 
which in like a local Warani tribal language means monkey, okay? I know, I know, I know. We're all brilliant kids, but uh, we had two parrots named Dumb and Dumber. I kid you not, right? We just like, there were so many animals in our house growing up, but I loved growing up in South America. Um, it, it really like, changed the way I view the world, that I understand God's word. And uh, it, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. Spent 11 years of my life down there and then came back to the U.S. to go to Biola, bounced around California a little bit, and now love living in San Diego. But truly, I'm, I'm pumped to be here this week with y'all. And, and here's my, my challenge and my invitation to you, okay? I'm going to make two commitments to you, and then I'm just going to ask that you make one commitment back to me this week, okay? And here's my two commitments. Number one, Everything we talk about this week is going to come straight out of God's word, that I believe wholeheartedly that this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety, and that this book, God's word, that you opened up to the book of Daniel, I think way too often, myself included, we take this book for granted, and it just becomes the Bible. It's like, yeah, for sure. Like, maybe we even came to chapel tonight and, like, forgot it, and it's like, ah, whoops, right? And like, ah, it's just the Bible. I'll bring it in tomorrow, right? Like, it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to take this for granted because we have a ton of copies of it. But, y'all, this book right here, it's actually 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a span of 2,000 years in three different languages, and it was written on three different continents, and yet it tells one story. Right? Do you know how bananas that is that a book could be started and then finished 2,000 years later and 40 different people could contribute to it and it could still tell one story? That all week long we're going to dive into this book and we're just going to ask God that he would move and that he would speak to us powerfully through his word that I believe wholeheartedly that there's a God of the universe that always has been, that always will be, that chooses to reveal himself to you and to I. And he desires this week to be known and to be seen. And so this week, whether you're, uh, like, you've been around camp for forever, or you've been around church for forever, like, maybe, like, camp and church and youth group and all that stuff, like, that's your jam, right? Like, the second your church released Hume signups, you were, like, sign up number one. And you were, like, I'm there. Like, I love camp. Like, whether you're that person, or maybe you, like, walked into the back of chapel and you went, like, what is this? And there was like a live drama, and then there's like somebody opens up God's word, and you're like, the Bible? What? This is a church camp? Right? Like maybe, maybe you showed up at this, and you're like, you don't really have any context for God or church. Maybe you don't believe in any of this. And I just want to invite you in this week and just go like, I'm not going to stand up here and go like, here's my best advice on how to live. Or here's some philosophical ideology in 2023 of like how to be a good person. Everything we talk about, commitment number one, is going to be straight from here, straight from God's word. Hey, commitment number two is that this week, like, I'm not going to dumb it down. I, I work with high school students. I've, I've been a pastor for the last 10 years, and I believe wholeheartedly that y'all are ready for it, that you can handle it, that we can, we can come into this room and we can talk about some, some awesome things, and then we can talk about some hard things. And I believe whether you're a freshman in this room or a senior in this room, that you can handle God's word in its entirety. And we're not going to dumb down truth. We're not going to water down truth. That my second commitment to you this week is I respect you enough to go, we're going we're gonna to open up God's word. We're going to preach God's word. And then we're going to talk about truth. And what is that truth? And then my hope for you is that you would wrestle with it this week. And that's the commitment that I ask back. Hey, the one thing I ask back from you this week is that you would lean in. That again, whether you know, like when they said Daniel, you were like, oh, I know the book of Daniel, and he moved to Babylon, he was in exile, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's like, cool, sweet, right? Like, maybe you know the whole story, and you're a Bible nerd, just like me. Or, maybe, 
right? Like I'm like the pastor's kid, missionary kid, like went to Biola. Like, like I, I've been around church for forever. And we're going to talk a little bit more about my story and what the things that I've wrestled with and knowing God up here, but not actually knowing God. And we're going to talk about more of that this week. But whether you're that person or maybe you're the person that's like, I, maybe you're, you came to camp this week wrestling, doubting. My challenge to you is just lean in this week. That if, if you lean in, the, the God of the Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me. And I believe that wherever you're at with God this week, if you choose to wrestle, to lean in, God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to teach you something new about himself. Okay, so Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to dive right in, and then we're going to set some uh, context for this story. Hey, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, pause real quick and look up at me. When, it's, so when the Bible says things like, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king, but like, it's not just spouting names and dates for the sake of spouting names and dates. This is the Bible saying, these are real people in a real time in a real place. That the Bible's not just teaching like a, an allegory, like some great story to teach a lesson. That this, these are actually real people that walk to the earth in a real time in a real place. They, they can be confirmed by other historical documents. And there's actually been uh, roughly 25,000 archaeological digs, and 25,000 for 25,000 have confirmed the accuracy of this text. And so I know like when we read names and dates and things like this, like sometimes it's easy to just breeze over that, but I love that the Bible gives us that because it, it allows us to trust and understand like these are real people in a real time in a real place. And it says this, and the Lord, if you have a pen with you and you want to just underline or circle in your Bible, and the Lord delivered, circle that word delivered, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those were chosen from, uh, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Hey, and uh, anybody ever watched Veggie Tales before? Y'all watched that show? Hey, this has been the, the funny thing about like studying this text for this theme has been that in, if you watch like, Veggie Tales historically, and for the rest of the book of Daniel, we know these characters as like Daniel, and then what are the other three? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's funny to me that like their original names, right? we look at them, it's like uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They changed Daniel's name right, to Belteshazzar, but we know them as Daniel. Like homie wrote his own book and was like, no, 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 I'm Daniel. Right? Like, y'all, you can change their names all you want. Like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, you got it. But he refers to himself as Daniel for the rest of the book. Like, kind of funny moment. And so we see these characters, we're introduced to these characters, and they find themselves in exile. And now, what is exile? Exile is very simply this, right? If you want to just write this down, just go exile equals, it's when you're taken from your home and forced to live somewhere else. 
So where they are is not their home. They're taken from that and they're brought somewhere else. But the reason I had you circle that word delivered is we see that God delivers his people into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? We see God go, it's, it, this doesn't catch him off guard. Right? Something happens to the nation of Israel where they're forced out of their homes and they're taken into this foreign country. Right? They're, they're, the, all the treasure is taken from the temple, but this doesn't cut, catch God off guard. God's not watching this happen to his people and go, oh no, right? what has happened? Why are my people being taken? No, it says God delivered them. And in order to understand the context of this, we have to back up. We have to understand that there was these kingdoms and, 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 and these kings that represented the nation of Israel. Israel goes after, they, they ask for a king that would represent them because they wanted to be like all the other kingdoms. Israel never operated with a king, and then they go to God and they say, we want a king, and so God gives them a king. But the problem is, king after king after king after king leads the people into destruction. It says in 2 Kings 24, it says, again, the nation of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then we look at Jeremiah chapter 23, and we see that for 20-something years, 22, 23 years, God has given the nation of Israel, under Jehoiakim's leadership, the opportunity to turn back to him. He sent them prophets. Right? They, they've gone to the temple and opened up the scroll. They've opened up God's word, and God has invited them back over and over and over and over again to do things his way. And for 22, 23 years, God has looked at the nation of Israel, invited the nation of Israel back, and then we see that God is also a God of justice. He's a God of mercy, he's a God of grace, but he's a God of justice. And sin will always have a consequence. Disobedience to God will always have a consequence. And we see the nation of Israel after 23 years, God goes, okay, I'm going to now deliver you over into the hand of your enemy. And this is how we find Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego living in exile. But it begs the question, why, right? And we see this in the character of Judith, right? Why did Israel for 22, 23 years hear the word of God spoken, be invited to live life God's way, and doubt? Why did they have this lack of trust? And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to turn there later this week, but in Genesis chapter 3, we see God has already created the earth. He is the peak of his creation is Adam and Eve, and they're living in this perfect relationship. Adam, Eve, and God, they're walking in perfection, and yet God has given them a choice. Why? Because forced love is not love at all. If God just created human beings that were incapable of choosing, he would have created robots. And so God invites Adam and Eve into a relationship with him. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that we have a very real enemy that changed the course of history with four words. Right? Satan comes into the picture and he says, did God really say? Why are these four words so significant? Because we have a very real enemy that desires to create a lack of trust in God and a lack of trust in what God says. Why? If I don't trust God, then I'm not going to trust what he says. And if I don't trust what he says, then I'm not going to do what he says. Does that make sense? Right? Like, I have a, a daughter, Piper, that had the flower sun, uh, glasses. Homegirl, right? Like, parenting, eh, parents in the room, you get this, you'll understand this. Like, parenting a baby is just like keeping something alive. Right? It's like changing diapers and like making sure she eats every once in a while. And then like a relatively safe environment where like things 
don't fall onto her, right? Like that's parenting a baby. And then all of a sudden they start like walking and talking and like pushing back and becoming like a human and a person. And all of a sudden you're like, oh no, like something's changed. Like, like there's, there's this whole new realm where parenting becomes this relationship and parenting becomes like, oh, we got to walk through this and talk through this. Like if you've ever doubted that human beings were born into sin, just hang out with a two-year-old for like 30 <laughs> minutes, right? Like it's, it's so obvious. And so the other day we were doing baptisms at my church and my church has this like big outdoor plaza area. And uh, I was like way in the back of the line. There was like 40 something people getting baptized on this Sunday. And it was super rad. It was awesome. And we were like celebrating new life and like this outward symbol, this inward reality that people had surrendered their life to Jesus. And I was like way in the back of the line with one of my high school girls and uh, one of my leaders. And we were going to like baptize this girl and we we're like stoked on it and everything. But in the back of my head, is this a safe space, right? Can I be like vulnerable in here with y'all? Right? Like in the back of my head, Pastors in that moment should be like solely focused on like my high school student and like this opportunity, everything. But I was also, I had this whole like sidetrack going on. Y'all seen the movie Inside Out, right? Like, like I felt like I had this like other character in my brain that was just like standing in the corner way in the back of the room, like pacing almost nervously because your boy really doesn't like feet, okay? Like anybody else with me? Like I, I just really, I really think they're kind of gross. Like I'm okay with my feet. And that's about it, right? Like maybe Phoebe's, like we're good, right? But like everybody else's feet, I think are kind of gross. And so I'm standing in the back of this line and if there's like 40 something people getting baptized, that means there's like 80 sets of feet and like sometimes more because y'all, you know, y'all already know, like sometimes there's like the baptizer, like the baptizee and then like the homie that wants to get in the tub, you know what I'm saying? So it's like sometimes it's three people getting in there and I'm just counting the feet that have gone in this baptismal and I'm like... I'm standing in the back of the room, and again, like, I'm trying to stay focused. I'm like, me and you, homegirl, like, we're going to baptize you. Like, this is dope. And then I'm like, I'm like looking, I'm like, Ugh. like, there's literally, like, so many people, and like, eh, getting in, like, dunked and up. And, and by the time I get up to the water, I kid you not, like, I went scoped it out before the baptisms happened, and then I go up to the edge of the baptismal, and I look, and I can't see the bottom of the baptismal. And I'm like, huh. You can do this, right? Like, Holy Spirit, come on. And I, like, get in the baptismal, and I, like, fake my smile. I'm, like, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm, like, you got to go under this. Like, that's, I'm just, like, up to here, right? And I, like, dunk her, bring her back up, and I get out, and I'm, like, whew. So we go over to the edge of, of the baptismal, and everybody's, like, cleaning up, doing their thing. And I'm, like, the stereotypical pastor and, like, pastor's family. Like, if you're any pastor's kids in the room, okay? Well, I'm pastor's kid. Y'all, like... We're always the last ones at church. Can I get an amen, right? Like, it's just, it just is what it is. Like, my dad would be talking till like 4 p.m. And I'm like, bro, like, church ended forever ago, right? Like, and, and now, unfortunately, like, that's my kids. Like, we're just like hanging out in the plaza. Piper and Phoebe are doing their thing. So Piper has just gotten used to it already. She's like running around. She's like super blonde, like red, rosy cheeks. And I, I asked my wife, I'm like, hey, babe, have you seen Piper in a little bit? And she's like, I don't know. She was like running over on the grass. And I look up to see my daughter on the grass and our facilities team has already like gotten to work like cleaning this thing up and they've taken a hose and they've like sucked all the air out of the hose, put it into the baptismal and they're draining the baptismal onto the grass. Uh-huh. And I look up. <laughs> I might throw up telling this story. <laughs> I look up, y'all. I kid you not. I look up and I see my daughter, my sweet Piper girl, standing, right? She's been running around. It's hot, right? It's Vista. It's a hot place. And, and, and like her cheeks are rosy. And homegirl is standing on the end of the hose, 
Just hose grip going. <laughs> just downing. Just downing this baptismal water. And I look up. I look up. I look up and I'm like, babe, babe, your daughter. Right? At this point, it's your daughter. Look, look what she's doing. And so I run over. Like, I grab the diaper bag. I run over. And we have this little, like, pink Yeti that has a P on it. Right? And I, like, that morning, I had gone into our fridge, like, filtered water. And, like, filled it. Not even tap water. Right? Like, I filtered water. Like, filled that thing up and brought it to church. And I'd run over. And I'm like, pipes. Like, homegirl. Like, I have, like, dad has got this for you. Trust me. Like, you want this. And she just looks at me, hose still in hand. She goes, no. <laughs> and keeps drinking. And I was like, I took a step back. I was like, you're savage, right? Like, this, like, what? And in this moment, like, I, I was watching this unfold. And I kid you not, like, in this moment, I, I felt almost immediate conviction. Because I was like, dang. Like, as a dad, right? like, I'm, I am, like, so far from being the perfect dad, but I'm like doing everything I can. Like I love my little girls and I love being their dad and everything in me wants to set them up for success in life. I want to give them right, like a healthy environment to run in. I, I, I want to like say yes when I need to say yes, but also say no when I need to say no. And like everything I'm trying to do with my girls is to like set them up for success in a, in a loving environment. And it's hard work. And like, I, I'm looking at my little girl and like, I'm, I'm offering her something so much better than she currently is intaking. And she just looks at me and goes, no. And I was like, yo, like, what have I done to have like this level of distrust, <laughs> right? Like that, like you would look at something that I have for you that is so much better than the current thing that you're intaking. And you would just go, no, I want to do things my way. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want, like, I, it's me, I'm in charge. And I watched this unfold and I went, dang, that's me. How often do I do this? 66 books, 40 authors, 2,000 years, three continents, three languages. God has revealed himself to you and I. And he said, hey, this is my way of doing life. I've designed it. I created it. I'm the author and creator of life. And yet so often, friends, right, myself included, I look at God and go, I want to do things my way. I want to do things when I want, how I want, where I want, right? Like I open up God's word and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust what you have to say. And we have a very real enemy that two, like, thousands of years ago said, did God really say and when he said, did God really say, and created a distrust in Adam and Eve's heart, you and I now have that exact same distrust in inerrant. That when God invites us into doing life, right, there is a part of us that goes, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can trust what you have to say. And I just want to end with this. When I was a Growing up when I was in junior high and high school, I, I was playing a lot of sports, and genuinely I looked at uh, Christians, people that were following Jesus, and I looked at the way that they were doing life, and I looked at the way I was invited into doing life. I was going to youth group and church and all that stuff. And I looked at the Bible and youth group and Christianity, and I thought, this is kind of boring. Like, to be a Christian, this is what I believed wholeheartedly. I was like, to be a Christian is like, it's kind of like this boring life. There's a bunch of rules and regulations. There's like 613 of them in the Old Testament alone. But it's this boring life, but I guess I get heaven down the road. Because I had gone to camps and I'd gone to church enough to know, right, at the end of my life, they, they talk, people talked about, like, there's this place called heaven, there's this place called hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. So I was like, I guess I choose boring life now and heaven later. 
But I looked at my friends around me. I looked at the people like living life and I went like, they seem to be having way more fun. Like the decisions they're making, like the life that they're living, I was like, they get to do all these things that I don't get to do because I'm a Christian. I'm like, dang. So they get fun now, but hell later. That sucks. I guess I choose boring now and, and, and heaven later. And y'all, I just want to invite you to lean in this week to understand that I couldn't have been more wrong. That when I started opening up God's word for myself and started to understand who this God is and who this Jesus is and the life that he invites you and I into, that this is the greatest story ever told, that he invites us into life that's actually life, life and life abundant, as John 10.10 says. And this God, like this book that he's given us, this is not a book about what we have to do to get to God and the rules and regulations that you and I have to follow. This is the greatest story ever told about what God has done to get to you. And so my invitation tonight, my challenge is just what would it look like whether you've been around the church for forever or you're brand new to this thing, that this week, maybe you would just take one step tonight. Just one step of asking that question of what would it look like to trust God a little bit more tonight? Maybe, just maybe, you and I are more often than not like Piper drinking from the hose going, I know better. This is what I want. Trust me, I'm thirsty and this is water. What if there was a God that knew everything there was to know about life? He created you. He created life itself. He gifted us with his way of doing life. Israel found themselves in exile because for 23 years under the rule of Jehoiakim, they decided we want to do things our way. And this week, we're going to look at four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that in the middle of Babylon, in the middle of exile, said, God, we trust you still, and we trust what you say. What would it look like, friends, for you to take that same step of trust? Pray with me. God, thanks for tonight. Uh, thank you, God, just for the opportunity we have to be up here this week. God, and we just ask, as we open up your word this week, as we do cabin time, uh, maybe even during free time in a, in a discussion with a friend or a leader or a youth pastor, would this be a week that you use powerfully? God, would you use this week to reveal more of yourself and as we understand more of who you are, would it create a trust in who you are and your character and a trust in what you say? God, tonight, would you maybe convict where you need to convict? Would you remind where you need to remind? For those of us maybe struggling to believe that you are good or that you are loving or that you are worth trusting, God, maybe tonight would we take a half step closer to you and understand that your way of doing life is the absolute best way of doing life. God, thanks for loving us first. We respond to you with our love.